Good morning. I'd like to find your Bibles or your phones or your tablets or look at the screen. So many options. If you've got an actual book Bible, just hold it up. It's not bad for a church, is it? There's at least four of you. That's excellent. <laughs> Good. My name's Andy Cottingham. I lead the team that leads the church here. And today is our Vision Sunday. We're going to be looking today at what we believe God is calling us to during the next academic year. It might be a bit strange for you to think that this is the beginning of a year, uh, unless you happen to have children or if you're a student, in which case this makes a huge amount of sense. And so as a church, we tend to run our years from September through to the following summer like the academic year runs. And so this for us is the beginning of a year. You're very, very welcome if you are new to us, and particularly welcome if you're a student, you've just arrived in Bristol, welcome. This is a great city to be a student in, it's a great city to be a believer in, and this is a great church to be part of on that journey together. I'm going to do two things this morning, we're going to look at some scripture together and see what we believe God says from that for each of us, and then we're going to look at, as I said before, some of the things that we believe God is setting before us during the next year. That's kind of my job. You might wonder what people who are paid by the church do. Um, I've been paid by a church for many years. I still have no idea what I do. Uh, but uh, actually, part of my job is to uh, look a bit ahead and see what God is calling us to. Obviously, most of the, all the elders do that together, but that's particularly my call, is to what is God asking of us. And so we're going to be looking at some of those things today. Let's pray together before we read God's Word. Father, we thank you so much for your presence with us. Thank you, Lord. We don't gather to some ancient religion. We gather to a living Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that by your Spirit you're with us, just like you promised you would be. Thank you, Lord God, you can speak, and we ask that you would. Thank you that your Word lives, and we pray let it live in us today and in the weeks and months ahead. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you, Lord God, will come and teach us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm chapter 1. It's easy to find. Psalms is the middle, pretty much, of your Bible, and one needs no explanation. It's at the beginning. Blessed is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on this law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff which the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. If you happen to be at our West Point event this summer, then some of these concepts will be very familiar to you. Now this psalm is both an introduction to the book of Psalms, but actually also a summary of what you might expect to find throughout the book. Lots of psalms there, over 150 of them, many, many psalms telling, telling us and teaching us something about who God is and what it means to walk with God. And this psalm summarizes the ideas really throughout the whole book. It shows us the difference between those who walk in God's presence, who walk in step with God, and those who are not in step 
with God. That's true uh, for believers and people who don't yet believe, but that also can be true for individual believers too, that we can uh, choose to walk in step with him or not. It's kind of down to us in many ways. In this psalm, we find blessing and direction. We find instruction. We find warning and uh, we find protection. And we also find something of judgment here as well. And in the center of this psalm, there's a tree. And that tree is the believer. Now, the Bible does these things absolutely on purpose. It puts a picture, a metaphor in, uh, the, in, in your head, and it says, go think about this. And right here, simple as you like, the Bible writer, the psalm writer is saying to you, think about a tree. And you can do that easily because you know what a tree looks like. You've passed many of them on the way here today, no doubt. He's saying, think about a tree. Now, he says, think about a tree that's planted by a river planted by streams of water, which adds a layer of security to the tree. This tree, of course, has um, a constant and consistent supply of water. Now, just remember, of course, that the, psalm, uh, the psalmist is writing into a cultural context where drought would be very familiar. And so the idea that a tree would need to be planted by a river would be very familiar. Now, most of our trees, that's not a requirement because it rains all the time. Uh, But please remember that's who the psalmist is writing to. So the idea of a tree planted by a river is an incredible picture of security, a real picture of, of constant supply, something of longevity. And of course, the picture of the, the tree is of a tree that is thriving. This tree has healthy leaves, and this tree is producing fruit. That's the things that a tree ought to be doing. And of course, even as Ben was uh, bringing something of God's uh, prophetic word to us earlier, trees do more than that. And you could push this metaphor much further. And actually, the Bible is full of pictures of trees. It starts at the beginning with trees in the garden, and it, it ends with trees of life in a redeemed universe. And But right here we see God is talking about a tree. He's saying, that's you. And you see, the desire of God is that you would be a flourishing tree. That you would be a tree that is like the tree that he's describing here. That you would be rooted into a constant and consistent supply of fresh, clean, pure water. And as a result of you drawing that up through your roots, of that becoming part of who you are, that you would be fruitful. That your, your leaves, as it were, would be fresh and strong, and that you would produce fruit, and that fruit would be righteousness for God. This tree is not, it would seem, vulnerable to heat or drought. Now, what you would expect, of course, in the picture of a flourishing tree is for the psalmist to contrast with a kind of wizened tree, and I think we have a picture of potentially a wizard tree. That, that's what you would expect. You think, well, yep, okay, so healthy tree, unhealthy tree, but actually that's not the picture that the psalmist used. The psalmist uses a picture of chaff. And now if you happen to have been a first century farmer, you'd know what that was. And as I'm doubting most of you are, it's unlikely that you're so familiar with this. And what this is, we've got a picture I think of that too, is as you, when you thresh corn, you want to get to the seed and around the seed is kind of a husk, is something that's not so useful. And so they used to thresh it, or, and so they would beat it. And as they beat it, the, court, the kernel would come out. And then, of course, you've got a big pile of kernels and chaff, what's left over. And then you throw it up in the air, and the heavy kernels drop to the ground, and you can use them, and the wind blows everything else away. 
Now that's the picture, that's the alternative life that is being described here. Not just a wizened tree, in fact nothing at all. Something that's literally blown away by the wind. And the psalmist uses that on purpose. And he's saying that's, that's what life could be like. It could be like the, the rooted tree, it could be like just chaff blown by the wind. And the difference of course is where the roots go. Where are the roots? And the psalmist is, starts with a bit of a warning saying look, this is how to, not to achieve those roots into the life of God. This is how not to be. And as with many Bible pictures, the metaphors are mixed. and We have to kind of roll with it a bit um, as the psalm moves on. But what the psalmist says is this. He says, don't keep step with the wicked. Don't walk with wicked. Don't stand with sinners and don't sit with mockers. And he's saying that's not the way to thrive. That's not where to put your roots. That's not how to think and how to believe. But rather, delight yourself in God's word. Delight yourself in the rich, pure truth of God. And it says those people are the ones who draw their life out of that river that we saw at the beginning. And here's the question for us. The question that's directly to you and to me. What ideas do you, do you keep step with? What concepts do you stand on? And are you happy to sit with the cynical, mulling the ideas and thoughts of the day? We're surrounded by voices telling us that the Bible is done with. It's ancient, old-fashioned, finished with. And it tells us constantly, the culture around us, to keep step with ideas that are, stand firmly against what the Bible teaches. Those ideas can come on almost every aspect of life. Almost everything that you could possibly think about, we are taught, don't believe what the Bible is telling you. So that could be ideas around marriage, saying, well, marriage, the Bible says marriage is between one man and one woman, and it's for life. And so that idea is constantly challenged. Ideas around what sex is for. Ideas around sexuality, around what family is, around how to use your money, around relationships in general, around what is good and what is holy and what is right. And these ideas are constantly challenged when it stands against what is revealed in God's word. And the psalmist is saying, don't walk in step with those ideas. Don't keep step with them. Now let me give you a bit of a confession here. I'm, I'm a bit of a news junkie. I like, I like news. I like kind of information. And, and the apps on your various phones and devices and computers now deliver th that news in every form you can imagine. And so every day you get another slice of news from around the world. Now I like, I like that. I find it stimulating. I'm interested in the world around me. In fact, there was an old preacher who used to say we should face the world with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other and I think there's some truth in that. But sometimes the newspaper takes center stage. Or not the newspaper, the app these days, or the, the news site. And that's fine as far as it goes. But I don't want to keep step with those ideas. I don't want to be running along with those ideas as if that's how history is playing out. Because the Bible tells me something different about how history is playing out. And it puts Jesus in the center of that story. And the news around you never puts Jesus in the center of that story, ever. 
So we need to be careful. Where do we keep, what are we keeping step with in terms of the ideas and thoughts around us? Now, it might be that, well, you might, you might think, well, it's just, isn't it just really blinkered just to keep our eyes in God's Word? Well, the psalmist is saying that's actually how to thrive as a believer. It's not that we ignore what's around us. It's just we make sure what's center stage for us is his revealed truth. See, the psalmist knows something else about keeping step with concepts and ideas that are different from the biblical ones. It knows that if you keep step for too long with those ideas and thoughts, if they become center stage for you, if that becomes where you're drawing your life, your energy for the day from, your motivation to do things and to act and behave in particular ways, that before long, keeping step with them means that you come to stand on them. And that's the next question for us. Where do you stand? What ideas and thoughts do you stand on? Are you standing on thoughts that are not biblical ideas? Are you standing on ideas about the future for your life, about what God might have for you, what you think would be good for the future that are not biblical ones? God says, give your life up and follow me. He says, take up your cross, follow me. And that's not what you're going to hear in the university halls, in the colleges and schools from around the city. Now, there's some great ideas out there, don't get me wrong, but here's a central pillar of believing and following Jesus. is that you give up your life and you follow him. It's central. It's foundational. That's where we should say, an old hymn writer put it this way, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. That's where to put it. If you're starting a university course right now, that's the best advice you're going to hear today. Root your life right now. Make a decision right now. Root it into Jesus right now. That's how I'm going to live. That's how these years are going to play out for me. And maybe you're not a student. As for me and my household, that's how we're going to live. It might be difficult. It might be impossible. It probably will be if God's involved. He's always asked us to do impossible things. He always is. Do it anyway. Do it anyway because he is with you. And he's strong to save, to rescue, to lead, and to empower. You see, the final position of those who've walked and kept in step with ideas that are not Bible ones, who have come to stand on those ideas and thoughts, come to rest on them, come to stand firm on them, is those who then sit back and mock and scoff. That's the final resting place, as it were, for this life outside of God's truth and God's word. Let me just say this. I love, I love comedy, too. I like the news. I also like comedy. I love to laugh, and I probably listen to comedy almost every day, and I enjoy it. But listen, some of our comedy is based around cynicism. It's based around undermining um, kind of establishment, and, and, and we kind of like that. Yeah, we like that. I quite like that. I grew up liking it. And I want to laugh and I want to enjoy it, but I don't want to be taught how to be cynical. I don't want to be taught that disbelief, that tearing down is a good way to be and to live. Because the Bible says, believe in me, stand on my word, take me at my word. And there's some naivety in there. There's some childlike naivety in there 
like a child throwing themselves into the arms of a father or a mother. And God's asking us to have childlike hearts as we follow him. I don't want to be taught to be cynical. I think sometimes that's the spirit of the age. Sometimes it's, the, it's a bit of the British way. It's how we cope with what it means to be British, is that we're a bit cynical. We tend to distrust. And yet God is saying, trust me. Follow me. Give yourself heart and soul to my kingdom, to the word of God, to the truth of a risen Lord Jesus. No matter what it looks like, don't care what everyone else, let the mockers mock. I'm going to follow him because I believe in his word and I believe that's how to become this fruitful tree rooted into God. You see, the end game for this one who walks and sits and stands is that picture just blown away by the wind. Nothing left, no fruit, no seed, nothing. It's just blown by the wind. As, as right and good as some of those things might seem in the moment, the psalmist is giving you an eternal perspective. He's saying, build something that is full of life, that actually brings comfort to those around you, that river that comes from God. No matter the conditions for this tree, no matter the turning of history, it's going to be fruitful and healthy. So drawing life from God's word means walking in biblical truth. It means literally reading his word. Every day, read his word. Drink it in. Let it be life to you. Sometimes, some people say, yeah, but when I read God's word, it's like water through a sieve. I just don't remember. Who, who's, who's read stuff re- recently and gone away and forgotten about it? Do you know what? That's fine because you get a clean sieve. At the very least, that's what you get. At the very least, that's what you get. It means drawing your life, setting your course to follow him, standing on Christ alone. Nothing else, nothing else will do. That's, that's where my decision making, that's the heart of it, is in him and him alone. And it means finally not being seated, seated with, with the cynical, but it means seated in Christ's salvation and him alone. The New Testament actually takes this picture a bit further because we see the Old Testament writers, they just had some scripture, they had some writings, and they had their oral tradition. They didn't yet have Jesus. And John adds to this picture. He says this in John 1, In the beginning was the Word, and that's where the psalmist is directing the reader to the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And a bit later on, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So John writes to people who knew Psalm 1, and he's saying there's more than just words on a page. There's a living Jesus to know. And that's the truth right now. And you might, all you might know this morning, you might not be a believer this morning, you, all you might think is, wow, that tree, that sounds good. I'd like to be like that. That, that's, that may be all that you can, you can process right now. That's all you need. Ask him. So, Jesus, if it's you, I want to be like that. Make me like that tree. That's enough. That's all you need. Crying out to God. Just begin the journey towards faith by doing that kind of thing. The invitation is clear for us too. 
those of us who've been believers maybe for a bit longer than that, is that we can draw our life from his. Now, even the metaphor of a tree by a river, it can eventually dry up. I grew up next to a river, and very occasionally, very occasionally, even a big river will dry up. The metaphor eventually runs out, but Jesus rose from death. He never runs out. He has life when everyone else has run out of life. He has life even when there's just all around is death. He calls it out, and he calls it out of you as a believer. He's saying, that's what I've done in you. I've put that seed of eternal life inside of you. Now go share that with those around you. He wants you to draw in so that you can give out. He wants you to be a flourishing tree, to be a fruitful tree, so that others can find refuge. There are people all around you who are desperate to find some kind of answer, any kind of answer. And you have the words of life right in your heart. You have the one who spoke them living in you by his Holy Spirit. And he's saying, come walk with me. Come drink from me. You can know him. We can pray for you later if that's something you need to work through. Now the planted tree in the Psalms actually is the, is the individual. It's the, it's the person. It's the man. It's the woman. But actually we want that for each of us. But we also want that for all of us. We want that picture is not just for the individual, it's for all of us, corporately, together. And that planted tree is not just to be you and I, but it's to be us. Us as city church, together, the fruitful tree. The tree in this city for us was planted 21 years ago. And as that tree matures now, as it grows, what's it going to look like? How is it going to express fruit and, and, and health through the city I want to look in the next few minutes at some of the ways that that might be true for us. A year ago, if you were here, you might remember that we met down at We the Curious, the strangely named place that used to be called at Bristol, and we joined two churches together, Bridge and City Church, churches that had historically been together and had then been separated for a few years and now are back together. We did that together, believing that God had more for us together than apart. So we became one church, one family, one team, one eldership, one charity, one vision, and one city that God called us to, to reach. And we began to make some changes so that we would begin to flourish together. So connect groups are one of those changes that you will have seen. And please sign up for one. If you haven't, we've made it as easy as we possibly can. You've got a phone in your hand. That's all you need. You can go and sign up to be part of that. And to be part of a group is to be part of that family that's growing and thriving and reaching out into the city. We said way back we wanted to serve this city well. We wanted to serve the, the disadvantaged and the dispossessed in the city. And we've been able to do that more than ever before this year. And so with things like the Winter Night Shelter, that one of our ladies from Bradley Stoke is running the whole show this year uh, through the three, month, the three coldest months of winter. Whether that's through City Hands which has been serving people consistently right through year by year by year. Whether that's through, and I want to just tell you a little bit about this, uh, Street Life. So Street Life is an outreach to the homeless of Bristol every Saturday night in Brunswick Square. And the leaders of Street Life have come to join City Church. They're part of us. They're part of our family. I want to commend that to you. If you want to learn more about that, you'll find out from me. You can maybe find out a bit of news uh, a bit of information at the uh, welcome desk at the back 
uh, or you can ask one of the leaders or elders. You can become part of that team. Every night serving hot food and praying and talking and befriending people who don't have anywhere to sleep. There's also, there are many other things. There's Beloved, which is an outreach to, uh, to, to some of the ladies that work on the streets in Bristol. And there are many other things that God is bringing to us so that we can produce fruit in keeping with righteousness. We can serve those who Jesus would have served in the city. You can be involved in all of those things. We want to do much, much more than that. In order to reach this city, we need leaders. We need leaders for the church. We need leaders for the city. And so come January, part of our Connect Group system will be to a, a leadership training track, a discipleship and training courses that we'll put on to help us to grow as leaders. You might think, well, I've probably prophesied over me once that I would be a leader. I've always felt in my heart I'd like to lead, but I've no idea how to go about it. That's the course for you. Come and find out what it means to biblically lead. And then on from that, and on from that, and on from that, to lead, to lead in church, to lead in the city, wherever you might find yourself serving. We want to grow our church. We want to grow in terms of more sites. And of course, Fish Ponds is a good example of that. And we need a leader, and we need the finance, and then we'd be ready to go in fish ponds once those things come on track. But we want to do more than that too. And the south of Bristol is kind of calling. We want a site beyond the river down into the south of Bristol. That's going to require finance and leadership and faith and courage. It might surprise you to know that we don't own this building. It might surprise you to know that we don't own any buildings. And again, for a church that's 20 odd years old, that's maybe something uh, to think about. Uh, but it does leave us a little bit vulnerable from time to time in how and where we meet. And we'd love and believe, actually, that God will give us something in the future. You might know that we bid on a building, in fact, during the summer. In fact, when Ben was on sabbatical, the team pulled together a magnificent bid, did a really great job on bidding at a building, on a building just up the Gloucester Road here. We, are, we, didn't, we weren't successful. Uh, the final bid, it seems, was over, somewhere over two million. And I think it's going to become a gym which I thought was a little bit of lack of creative thinking there by those selling them. But anyway, I believe and we believe God will give us something. But we want to be ready for that too. And so I want to tell you that we, we're have, you can give towards a building if you like. You can give and say, this is for a building. And if you give, it will go to us finding. It will go towards us assessing. It will go towards us probably converting a building. All the things that go together. It's quite a complex process. And if you give, your money will go towards all of that process. And, and God willing, finally, to us purchasing something. Maybe initially it will be a, an office and a place to train and a place for storage, that sort of thing. But ultimately, beyond that as well. So we want to be prepared for God to give us. I'm praying that God would do something with us so that when people come and become part of us and look in, they'll say, there must be a God. The only explanation for what you are doing for what God is doing here is that God is alive. There can't be any other explanation. And that means us trying things that seem improbable and impossible, like bidding on a two million pound building. That's why we did it. We did it because we believed something of God. And we're going to keep doing it. We'll keep on doing it until God shows us where he wants us. I want to be a church where, which is a family for the lonely, which is a rest for the weary, which is an adventure for the willing, which is something of God's presence in the city, bringing something of God, bringing salt and light to 
for a city that needs it. That's in my heart, that's my prayer, that we will be happy and healthy together, growing and thriving like this tree we see in the Psalms. We need to take our place. We need to walk with God. We need to stand on his truth, and we need to sit content in his presence. We need to come together to drink deeply of that life-giving water. That's how we can achieve these things, only, the only way. We're simply not smart enough, rich enough, clever enough to do it without him. We don't even want to try. And so we'll do whatever he tells us. It's going to require faith, courage, commitment to do this. It needs people to say, like it does in a family, I'm in, I'm all in. I'm in, I'm, I'm part of this. It needs faith to stretch for the improbable. To say, let's consider that thing that seems way beyond us. You know, when God said to Moses, you've got to go across that sea. And behind Moses stands hundreds of thousands of people trying to escape the Egyptian army. And God says, it's that way. And Moses says, that's the sea. And he says, it's that way. And Moses goes in and the waters part. That's faith. And that's what God is calling us to do and to be. To step in even when it seems improbable and impossible. It requires those things, faith, courage, and commitment. It also requires money. It requires a lot of money to make this stuff happen. Have you noticed it's quite expensive to live in Bristol? You're going to if you haven't. <laughs> and that's okay. God owns everything. It's all his. And actually what we do with our money is a part and parcel of who we are and what we believe. I don't know if you, you came to West Point, our Bible week in the summer, for the last few years, and if you have, you might have been staggered like I was at just the immense financial gifts that came in, just year after year, hundreds, in fact millions over the last few years. And you might ask yourself, well, how, how did that happen? Have we just got some closet millionaires who are just shoveling money in the offering out back once they've taken the, the buckets away? And the backstory to that is actually different. The backstory is, yes, occasionally people put a few tens of thousands in. But the backstory is this. Everyone took part. Everyone played their part. And that would be my desire for us as a family. That some of us are rich and it might be, might be absolutely appropriate for you to put a lot of money towards this vision, towards this end. Some of you are not. And you might think, well, what part could I play? Actually, from the story and for the backstory of those West Point offerings, just put in what you can in faith. Do it believing that God will multiply it. Doing believing that's part of your fruitfulness into God's church and to God's family. This is a year to give. We have open doors into this city like I've never known before. All across the city, people coming and asking us, could we help? Could we be part of something more? Could we do this? We want to go through those doors together to be part of what God's doing here. The psalm tells us he wants us individually and corporately, to be healthy, happy, and fruitful, and, by, and doing it by drawing the life from God himself. Let's stand together and pray.